seals, plump and glossy, sunned themselves on rocks at a cliff's base. They watched the ships go by curiously, without fear. Long ships hunted men, not fur. Solvi stood at the stern of the ship. He applauded good attempts and laughed at the poor ones. He only seemed to be giving the race half his attention, though. His eyes moved constantly, flicking over cliff and waterfall. He had shown the same careful watchfulness when they were on a raid, which had saved his men from the Irish warriors more than once. The Irish fought almost as well as Norsemen did. Ragnarveld had studied Solvi on this voyage, for he merited it, both clever and good at winning his men's affections. Ragnarveld had not thought to find those characteristics in one man, so often a boaster and a drinker won many friends, but was too careless to live long as a warrior. Ragnarveld's father, Einstein, had been like that. On this journey, all of Solvi's men had tales of Einstein, and seemed disappointed that Ragnarveld was not more like him, a man whose stories were still remembered a decade later, a man who abandoned his duty when it suited him. Solvi laughed at another attempt, another fall, another one of his men who climbed dripping over the gunwale and flopped on the deck, chest heaving from the cold water. Solvi had a narrow, handsome face, with high cheekbones, red like ripe apples. In infancy, his legs had been badly burned by a falling cauldron left to spill, rumour said by one of King Huntioff's lesser wives, jealous of the regard he showed Solvi's mother. Solvi's legs had healed well. He was as deadly a fighter as any Ragnarfeld had ever seen, but they remained bowed and crooked, and shorter than they should be. Men called him Solvi Cloffy, Solvi the Short-Legged, a name that made him grin with pride, at least when his friends said it. On the other side of the ship another warrior leapt and nearly fell. Solvi laughed and shook an oar to try to dislodge him, Few men remained to challenge Ragnarvald's feet. The pilot's son, slim and sure-footed as a mountain goat, was the only other who had completed the challenge, dancing stern to bow and back to stern again. Behind them sailed the five other ships that still remained in Solvi's convoy. Here and there others had turned off to return sons back to their farms and fishermen back to their boats. Before that, other ships had taken other paths to islands on the inner passage, where their captains called themselves sea kings, their kingdoms made of no more than rocks, narrow channels, and the men who would flock to their raiding cries. Solvi's father called himself a sea king too, for though he demanded taxes from the farmers of Mare, he refused the other duties of kingship, and maintained no farm at Tafjord. It was early in the year yet, Time enough for another raid across the North Atlantic to winter over again, or a short summer trip to the unprotected shores of Frisia. Ragnarvald was glad to be going home, though. His sister, Svanhild, and the rest of his family waited beyond the foothills of the Kiel, as did his intended, Hilda Hrolfstadter. He had won a pair of copper brooches for Hilda, worked by the North Smiths of Dublin. The Norse king there had given them to Ragnarvald as a reward for leading a daring raid against an Irish village. They would look well on Hilda, with her height and reddish hair. In time, she would oversee the hall he planned to build on the site where his father's hall had burned. Ragnarvald would be an experienced warrior by then, 
as thick with muscle as Ulfar, and wear his wealth on his belt and armbands. Hilda would give him tall children, boys he would teach to fight. Ragnarvald planned to claim her at the Ting this summer, when the families of the Cern district gathered. His family had an understanding with hers, though they had not yet gone through the betrothal ceremony. He had proved himself raiding, won wealth to buy more thralls to work on the farm at Ardol. Now that he was twenty and counted a man, he could marry Hilda, and his stepfather would have no more reason to withhold his birthright, his father's land, from him. Over the winter, he had also found a silver necklace that would suit Svanhild perfectly. She would laugh and pretend not to like it. What use had she for silver when she spent her days tending cows? But her eyes would sparkle, and she would wear it every day.